Working Class Audio is brought to you by Roswell Pro Audio, Gearsluts.com, AEA Microphones, The License Lab, Audio Technica, and Universal Audio. This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 198. Working Class Audio, navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux. Thanks, Jack. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is session 198 you're listening to. My guest today is Fela Davis. Fela currently is the front of house engineer for Christian McBride. Uh, She also is a Full Sail University graduate and has been involved in audio now for about 17 years, doing a vast number of audio gigs, uh, including uh, working for Claire Broadcast as well as House of Blues. She is also the co-founder of 23DB Productions with Dennis Orrin Beckoff. 23DB Productions specializes in recording, mixing, and mastering, as well as original video content. They also have their own podcast, which we'll include in the show notes. So excited to bring you my interview with Fela coming up shortly. So Fela Davis here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Grab your coffee, take a sip. I'm just going to ramble. Uh, so last week I was talking about, um, taking on this gig, the streaming gig and how that was a little outside of my, my current comfort zone of complacency of working at home and, you know, actually stepping out in the world and working with other people. In short, the gig went great. I was a little nervous. I got there and I got there well ahead of time. The band had completely changed the input list and all the work that my buddy and I did the week prior of setting up the console, the Pro Tools session, it didn't all go out the window. It just, everything had to get changed, relabeled, rerouted. And fortunately the band took their their time in sound checking, which played to my benefit. This is a great gig. Uh, worked out great and um, yeah, it's a good time. Got to hang out with some cool people, uh, one of which I will feature on the show at some point. So yeah, good gig. Get out of your comfort zones, friends. It it worked for me. It, uh, I can only imagine it can work for all of us. I'm going to put a link in the show notes for something that I've purchased now on Amazon a number of times. I think I've bought uh, this particular item three different times. Uh, it's a 50-piece cable tie thing. Uh, they're basically their Velcro cable ties. And it's uh, $7.50. And, of course, if you have Amazon Prime, then you get that benefit of whatever the free shipping and such is. Um, So I'm going to include a link. They come in multiple colors, I just realized. I've been buying them in black, and here they are in blue and orange and pink and light blue and white. and Yeah, all kinds of colors. Anyhow, I am finding that I'm wrapping every single cable in the house. And... When you have big boxes of cables, having the cables tied up nicely helps you find the cable you're looking for because you don't have to comb through the spaghetti. It's a small, insignificant thing, I know, but damn it, it helps. So I'll include a link in the show notes. You can check that out. So Velcro strips aside, I've said it a, a million times and I'll continue to say it. I just want to sincerely thank you all for listening to the show. I get so many amazing emails and messages from a lot of people. And here we are almost to 200. 
and uh, it, it's it's pretty inspiring. Your messages keep me going. Your messages uh, encourage me to keep doing the show. And there's so many more people to talk to. There's so much more information to be had and, and stories to be uh, told, lessons to be learned. So keep listening. I'll keep doing it. Never fear. 200 is not the stopping point. Unless I drop dead. God forbid I drop dead. Hey, but if I do, it's been a good run, right? No, I'm kidding. I'm not. <laughs> I don't plan on it. So uh, cross your fingers and nothing happens like lightning or anything. Boy, I better knock on wood after saying that, huh? Um, couple things about that. I, I many of you, I think, are are sending me uh, friend requests on Facebook and uh, maybe even connection requests on LinkedIn. And I want to say I, I I appreciate that, but. I have come to a point where I really only accept those requests from people I have really had interactions with. Positive interactions at that. So if I've had coffee with you, great. Happy to connect with you. But if I just don't know you, I just don't want you to take offense that I haven't re- accepted your, your requests. It has nothing to do with the fact that I think ill of you. It's just that I don't know you. So... I'm kind of, you know, well, as public as I am with the show, I'm a little private in that way with Facebook. And which I've, I'm telling you, I'm trying to spend less time on. So there may be some friend requests piling up there that I'm unaware of. So that's that. Um, so, yeah, we've had a good run. And I've got a great guest lined up for 200 that I think is going to be a good surprise for everybody. Guest that I think is going to be quite informative on many levels and also very entertaining so i hope you'll enjoy that but i can't tell you who that is yet um also got uh some stuff coming out at the end of the year here that i think uh is also going to be a bit of a surprise and i hope it's a a welcome one at that but uh more on that later yeah lots of good stuff coming up here in the new year Our friends over at Universal Audio have a whole new series of Apollo interfaces they've just recently introduced, the whole X series. They come in a variety of configurations. You can check those out at uaudio.com. We certainly do appreciate their help in supporting the podcast. So, uh, yeah, be sure and stop on by there. Also want to thank our friends over at gearslets.com for their help. We have a very reciprocal relationship where uh they sponsor us and we sponsor them so uh check out the audio life sub forum that we sponsor over at gearsluts.com there's some good conversations happening there and while you're stopping by and checking out all these different websites gearsluts.com and uaudio.com if you've never been to working class audio i implore you come on by maybe you're a, a podcast subscriber through itunes or google or one of the other podcast aggregators Maybe you're listening to this on YouTube. Yes, we actually do the, the podcast on YouTube or SoundCloud for that matter. Uh, if you're on one of those formats and you've never actually been to the website, please come on by workingclassaudio.com. Uh, if you've got a guest suggestion, uh, there is a guest suggestion form. Some people like to volunteer themselves, but I encourage you to volunteer someone else. Get somebody else to volunteer your name. And uh, yeah. 
come on by, visit us. Well, that's it. I think it's time to head on over to New York, where Fela Davis is currently located, and we'll get into that conversation. So here we go. Fela Davis here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Fela, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you on, and I'm excited to speak with you. All right. Thank you for having me. Let's just jump right in. Where'd you grow up? I'm from a rural, small town in South Carolina called Sherraw, South Carolina. It's actually the hometown of Dizzy Gillespie, so my my jazz roots started early. Wow. (laughs) Growing up, were there any influences that you can look back on now and say that those influences directly were responsible for helping getting you involved in audio? Oh, yes, totally. My, My mom was a big music fan, so she had lots of music to listen to all the time. I didn't consider it as an actual job until I took a career placement test when I was in like the eighth grade Mm -hmm. and audio engineering actually showed up (laughs) at the top of my list. I know. (laughs) And uh, that was when I was like, oh, that's a thing. Oh, okay. And then I was obsessed with it ever since then. I I was any magazine I could find. And this was like late 90s. Well, yeah, like 97. So the internet wasn't a thing. You couldn't look it up. You couldn't like call up engineers because I was in a very small town that didn't even really have an, a radio station. So, it, it, you know, we didn't even have a theater program in our small town. So it, it was like, wow, I w- was just foaming at the mouth to get to the information. Um, and then one day I found a magazine in my band class that uh, said the top audio engineering schools. And I was like, oh, this is for me. <laughs> I couldn't <laughs> wait to tear this magazine open. And I found Full Sail. Um, and it was kind of a uh, love at first sight. It had every piece of gear I even dreamed of. So that that was the first steps of it. This test, it's that's so strange that, like, <laughs> that that's one of the things it would come up with. But so this test was that the the thing that when you saw the results, did you think audio engineering, what is that? Or did you know? I had a faint idea. I mean, you know, you would see videos where the artist is in a control room. I didn't even know what that was at the time. Uh, <laughs> I was like, the thing with all the buttons on it? Okay, I, I can learn how to do that. I always wanted to do something technical and like that I had to use my hands to do. I knew I wanted that out of whatever career I got into Hmm. and technology was perfect for that. And it still is. I'm able, I was able to even stack off of that since I learned audio. I mean, I also went into doing video and all that kind of stuff as well, but yeah, just being able to craft something from my hands or my ears, you know, physically Mm -hmm. um, really turned me on even when I was in high school. Eighth grade, you take this test. Throughout your early schooling, were you then pursuing the knowledge of audio engineering? I came from kind of a, we were middle class, but more poor. (laughs) We didn't have much money. Right. Um, I don't know if you remember back in the day, like Mix Magazine was like $15. Like it was... (laughs) super expensive in the early 90s so that was like a birthday gift and that was you know to get uh you know so that was my first opening of seeing engineers phil Filippetti, and all of those cats smoking a cigar at the console i was like yes i want that 
maybe not the cigar, but I want it to be, you know, elbow on the console and, uh, you know, yeah, you know, running shit. And I really liked <laughs> the way it looked. Juicy. I mean, just just visually, it was just like, wow, this is badass. Like that was what kept me interested, even though I wasn't touching a board. I didn't get to touch a board until I graduated high school. So that was like five years later. That was all I had was magazines. And then so I would have like one or two mixed magazines a year. So that would have to like feed me. And and again, the Internet was not a thing. If I would have had YouTube in high school, it would have been a game changer for me. But, you know, it worked out. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I'd say so. So you you graduated and you went to full sale. Yep. They had everything that I, I wanted at the time, all the gear that I was interested in. A lot of their alumni were doing were on all the biggest records and they still are. What's the takeaway of your time at full sale? What would you how would you sum up that experience? It was wonderful. It was <laughs> it was a, a glass of water. After being in a desert for five years, I mean, it was just like, oh, my God, finally. And people that were interested. I mean, most of the time when I would tell people I wanted to be an audio engineer, it was like, well, what? And then I have to explain it as well. So I did get it at least good at explaining it, if I, even if I wasn't doing it at the time, you know, <laughs> of what it was. So, um, yeah, but at Full Sail, I was able to network with other students hands-on on gear because it was just my first time and I mean it was just like oh that's a fader I finally get to touch that yeah I just soaked up as much as I could while I was there yeah uh, it was a great experience I, I I enjoyed it personally so and, and I mean was there a camaraderie there at the school with you and your classmates oh yeah totally it, it was so great to just have other people that were interested in something that you were interested in as well, which didn't really happen that often. I can relate to the um, the thrill of being around what I would say is like, you know, your people, your your tribe. Yeah. I never went to audio school, but I remember when I first attended uh, the very first tape-op conference, I think it was in 99 or 2000, and it was, it was quite the experience to just be amongst other audio people and be yes. like, oh, <sighs> these are my people, audio yes. people. And I'm sure it was we a similar thing for you. what the snare sounds like, yes. <laughs> yeah, to a, to a fault. Yeah. <laughs> How long was that program at Full Sail? Uh, that, that was 2001 to 2002. Uh, so they, were, they only had uh, associate's degrees at the time. Uh, now you can get up to like a master's degree in like audio production but at the time uh it was just a one-year associates program and that for me was great as well because I personally don't like school that's just I'm not good at that and and you know it's just like some people are good at school and and like that way of learning Mm -hmm. I'm very much a hands-on person so it it was great to like see the gear and read more and kind of get dipped in it that way at full sale, but I didn't get my real hands-on knowledge until I was in the, the trenches. Is it an expensive place to go to? Did you And did you leave with student loan debt? Yes. Oh, yes. It's probably one of the more expensive, probably the expensive audio schools to go to. But for me, at the time, there was no other 
uh, it wasn't that many options. It seems like it seems like today there's more options on audio school mm-hmm. and possibly even doing it online and stuff like that. I guess the other option at the time was a recording academy in like Arizona. I saw a lot and maybe like five towns in New York. Those are like the three options that I saw at the time. And Full Sail, just the the, uh, the fact that they had so many alumni that were working and worked on albums that I loved. I was like, I went there and I was willing to make the sacrifice for that. And I, you know, was able to pay it off, you know. But, it, you know, that is a sacrifice yeah. to take in, in, in mind. But now with so many different options, I, I mean, you know, it, it, it's so many ways to do it now. <laughs> now, getting out of out of full sail and then getting into the trenches, what was that transition like from school to real world working? That was the hardest period <laughs> in, in audio for me. I went from, you know, a school environment my whole life because, I mean, I went straight into full sail right from high school. So it was like, oh, shit, I'm an adult. Yeah. <laughs> and I got to pay bills. And uh, so. When I graduated, I was dead broke, had to move back home to South Carolina. And I was from this small town that was so far from, well, it was like two hours from Myrtle Beach and two hours from Charlotte, which were the two other bigger cities. I tried to get jobs at both places. It only worked out in Myrtle Beach. So in Myrtle Beach, I got a gig doing uh, stagehand work at House of Blues. And then I started doing um, Spotlight at this other theater in between. Uh, but those are like $50, $40 a night gigs. So Ugh. I had to drive two hours, both so four-hour round trip for $40 to get my foot in the door. Yeah. And, and before that, I mean, I had six months where I was working bullshit jobs. I, I, I cut chickens. I worked in a chicken factory. Oh. I, I folded airbags. <laughs> At a factory in South Carolina. You mean airbags that go into a Uh, car? Exactly. The Honda Accords. (laughs) Like 2003 Honda Accords. So I did that. And and this was all to, to, you know, just trying to save money to get an apartment to live somewhere that is near audio. But I still had to, once I started getting production gigs in Myrtle Beach, I just started having to drive like six days a week four hours your mindset at that time did you feel like you were in a state of survival or did you feel like you were in a state of trying to achieve a goal uh both because i mean you know i'm seeing people from high school they're like i thought you went to school for audio what 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 are you doing so i mean i had to like eat it of course yeah i felt like a little bit of a failure like i i went to this expensive school and then I come back home and I'm doing what everybody else is doing that didn't go to school. <laughs> so it was a little defeating. Don't, don't get me wrong, but I, I knew that what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to mix. I knew I was going to get to it no matter what. And I'm going to do what everybody else won't do. And I'm not going to complain and I'm just going to get over it and I'm going to fucking do it. Yeah. And, and that's what you do. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I'm sure that going to the school, coming back to your hometown, to your parents' house, yeah. you know, live, living, living back home, working in these, these, these shit jobs that uh, you were doing. I'm sure that in itself is uh, a bit of motivation to say, oh, I'm going to do what I have to do, even if oh, it's yeah. driving four hours around trip to do a spotlight gig for 40 bucks yep oh yeah oh yeah so nobody can complain to me about anything and i'd be like okay yeah 
<laughs> I just kind of laugh it off because I, I did whatever I had to do to get to where I'm at now. So what was yeah. the breaking point where you crossed the threshold of, OK, I no longer have to be folding airbags for 2300 Accords. <laughs> and if you own um, a 2300 Accord, you might have the dubious distinction of having <laughs> your airbag folded by Phelan. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I, I've, I even had to like initial it. So, hey, if it ever gets deployed, <laughs> please look for an FD. Um, (laughs) so yeah, that I just had to keep, keep going at it. Those jobs, eventually I finally saved up enough money to move there and like a low rent place and just kept grinding and kept grinding for like move where two years. I was in Myrtle beach. Oh, okay. Two years. Yeah. I lived in Myrtle beach for a couple of years. I had like four jobs while I was there. I, I was like, at the same time. So I ended up working at a news station doing camera op and doing some audio work for like News 13, a CBS channel. I was doing ESPN radio for the local stuff. So all the Clemson Tiger games and shit that, that would hit the, the airwaves. I would edit that. Well, I mean, not edit. I would actually put it on air because they have to call it in or whatever. And then I would sometimes do spotlight at this place called Legends where they did uh, impersonations. So they were like, you know, Elvis impersonators, Blues Brothers impersonators. (laughs) So, you know, that combined enough to pay enough rent. And I wasn't happy because I wasn't mixing concerts. That was at Full Sail. I I figured out that was what I really loved. And what I really wanted to go after was the, the live game. And plus live paid immediately yeah in like studio where you had to you know do a bunch of work for, for like i i just couldn't do it my situation wasn't set up that way i i just couldn't do it i had to make money so live was definitely why i had to go that way the first half of my career i'm there and then my friend at the news station started dating someone in fort lauderdale she was like i don't want to move in with the person but you know, I think I want to move down there. And I, we went down there for a weekend and it was amazing. It was South Florida. I mean, how do you not have a good time? I know. So, <laughs> so we go down there and I'm like, okay, let's go. Let, let's do it. I'll be your roommate. And that, so that was how I ended up in Miami for four years. Uh, and down there, that was when I started mixing. It, it was funny because this was 2005 when all of those hurricanes hit South Florida. Florida (laughs) when like Katrina hit and all of that it was so when we got there it was three days after a major hurricane and we didn't have no it was yeah it was like a week after actually and then when I got there we didn't have power for three days because it looked like a bomb went off first of all in in South Florida and then I it it was like okay now I got to figure out a career from nothing I mean we had no I mean, we just had a roof over our head. <laughs> it was like, wow, what did we get into? But that was the best decision I ever made because um, I ended up working at Revolution Live Venue in downtown Fort Lauderdale. And that was where I met a lot of engineers and I ended up meeting a lot of like my mentors and I just learned a lot. And then from there, I just started getting gigs all over the city uh, for about four years after four years, I had basically worked at every theater. It, it's a lot of older, like retirement villages did, had done all of those, the theaters, the venue, you know, I had worked them all and I just knew I could push even further. I even had worked at, um, I worked at a jazz club too, um, 
yeah, Arturo Sandoval. I worked at his club too. So I, I you know, I w- it was mixing everything from ska to jazz to Latin jazz to I mean I was mixing everything so I my time there was was perfect but I I realized at that time like I need to grow if I want to get you know mix bigger clients and get get on tours at that time I I really need to make a, a move and so that was when I decided to move to New York City well, now I, I live in Jersey City, but I mean, I, I, I'm like 15 minutes from the city. So I moved here and I moved here with no job. And it was starting over again after already mixing and doing all this stuff in Florida. When you move to New York, it's like, who? Nope. Yep. <laughs> What's your like, name? Never heard of you. Yeah. Never heard of you. <laughs> and and so, also a, a much greater expense. Oh, my God. Yeah. And I knew when I moved to New York, I was going to have to do it on my own. And I wasn't going to have a I didn't want to do it with roommates or anything because I knew New York people just leave. They're not feeling it. Hey, ain't work out. And then they'll just leave you with two parts of rent that you wouldn't expect, you know, or three, you know, whatever. So I was like, okay, I'm going to move there. I'm going to move in a, a, you know, find as cheap a place as possible and just grind it out you know if they say you can make it here you can make it anywhere I was like okay let's put this to the test because I think I could take it if I could take on uh cutting up chickens in a factory and folding airbags (laughs) I think I can I could take on New York City and I did so (laughs) I went I came here hit the ground running and you know, thought I was going to make it happen in a year. And hey, New York teaches you a whole different thing. But I was like, all right, this is cool. I'm I'm willing to do the work. And from my first year, I was doing like AV stuff. You know, uh, I was working for this one guy in the city, like doing daytime work. And then I ended up working at this place called Bandigo. Bandigo, we, they rent vans to touring musicians so it's funny i would see like wiz khalifa and like all these like huge acts but well actually they weren't huge at the time nine years ago a lot of these acts were like oh okay you know because they were renting vans but they were very well put together vans they were like mercedes sprinters oh yeah and for you know for the four 350s but they would have game consoles in them and you know they were they were really nice. They wasn't just a regular van. That was cool to like kind of be near it, but not doing it. But that also opened up my nights, and so I started getting in at small clubs in Brooklyn, particularly at the time, which isn't funny enough, isn't happening anymore. At the time, Williamsburg, Brooklyn, was like the indie spot hmm. for like indie bands a lot of small venues and they always needed sound engineers. I mean, it would be like 50, 60 bucks a night again, but it was getting your foot in the door and mixing every day. And that you need practice at anything. If you want to be an engineer, you need to mix every day, especially when you're young and starting out, you need to be able to do it in your sleep. You need to get it to that level. So I'm, I end up working at this place called Spike Hill. Spike Hill was cool because so many people, it was right near a major train stop. 
that yeah. came out of the city. So it, it, you know, it was a very cool place to work at and cool bands at the time. So did a lot of networking and I was working at a lot of clubs. I'm like two years living in New York City. Then I end up finding Claire at the time. I don't know if you heard of Claire Brothers. Yeah. Or Claire Global. Yeah, they're like one of the top audio companies in the world. I find in Craigslist that they were looking for like a, a warehouse tech. And I was like, what? I didn't even know they had a New York office. But they had bought another company and they were doing like wireless. We were doing all the stuff that you would see on like Good Morning America. Mm-hmm. Anything on television that had to do with wireless, this particular company was providing it. And so I was like, wow, that's a great opportunity to learn even more and have your hands on the best equipment in the world. You just don't get any better than what they have. So um, I ended up getting that job and I was there for a year. And, and it was great because I was still doing, the, you know, mixing at Spike Hill and at these different places. But the cool thing was, is that I would use the microphones from Claire. And I asked my boss and he was like, yeah, you know, I mean, I was getting paid $10 an hour. So um, in New York City, I mean, come on. <laughs> so I was like, the least you could do is let me <laughs> use these microphones on something that, you know, I'm, I'm not going to tear them up. You're going to get them back perfectly. And I ne- ne- nothing ever happened. But when I, I started using their stuff on my live gigs and then people were like, wow, whenever you mix, it sounds so much better. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, of course, because I got like $5,000 worth of <laughs> yeah, <laughs> worth of microphones on this stage. But that also told me that, hey, 58s and 57s, you know, that's not the best microphone for every setup. I was able to make notes on what I liked and why I liked it through working at Claire. And I mean, they would have like, you know, like Avalons, everything. And I would use it all. Because, I mean, you also need to know how to use all of this stuff. We we all as engineers, are, I guess we, we kind of foam at the mouth for gear all the time. But, I mean, finally I got to get my hands on this gear. And so that was what was super enjoyable about working for that company. Even though, I mean, for them I basically did warehouse tech stuff. I, mm-hmm. I teched a few times, but it was wireless teching. So I was looking at RF stuff and making sure nothing was pinging the the mics or the in-ears. So it taught me so much about that side of audio. That gig was great, but after a year I was done and I just couldn't afford it. $10 an hour for a year in New York and mixing at night once I left Claire. So I would leave straight from Claire after, you know, I have to leave to go to work at Claire, because it was in Mount Vernon and I live in Jersey City, that's another like 90 minute drive to two hours sometimes, one way. Yeah. Because I have to go over to GW Bridge and yeah, and that's like almost upstate New York. So that was again an, a lot of driving. And then at night I would mix and then come home. So then I would sleep like three or four hours and get right back up and go to that gig and then do that like night after night for like three or four nights in a row, you know, just to keep the bills paid and keep the dream alive of mixing. 
Want to give a shout out to our friends over at AEA Microphones for their help in making the Working Class Audio podcast possible. AEA was started by the legendary Wes Dooley in 1976. Wes was actually repairing old RCA ribbon mics, but by the late 90s, the company transitioned into making their own mics, starting with their very own version of the Classic 44. Today, AEA mics are hand-built in Pasadena, California by a passionate team of people who put each mic through a series of rigorous tests before they leave the factory. That team's mission is to create the best possible microphones and preamps they can to help bring the imaginations of musicians and engineers to life. Check them out at aearibbonmics.com. Incredible motivation on your part to just dive in and say, all right, I'm going to learn something out of this. I may pay $10 an hour, but you really seem to like just go in in a targeted way and learn as much as you could and then realize, Mm -hmm. okay, this isn't paying the bills anymore. Where did so you kept the mixing gigs at night, I assume, mm-hmm. but yep, moved on yep. to something different. What was that? I, I didn't move on. I just went full on into mixing. I went oh. into mixing seven days a week. So this is the cool part about the the Claire thing. So the Claire thing made me realize, oh, I need to spend more money on mics and certain pieces of gear mm-hmm. that will make my mix sound better and different than the next engineer after me. That's what's gonna get me more gigs. So from that I started recording and, and I mean, any, all the engineers could record, but most of the time I was getting it to where everybody was buying my recordings, which were like $10 cash though. Would explain that to, I'm not really clear so what you're it, saying. There. So like four, it would be four bands in a night. And so each band could be recorded. Oh, stu- not studio, but live. Yeah. But live. Oh yeah. 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 All of this is live. All, all of my, my, all of this is live at the time. And what were you recording to? What was the format? Uh, a two track. Oh. Yep, a two track Zoom that paid for itself about three hundred times. <laughs> uh, wow. Because okay, so I made a bunch of money off of the live recordings because the the microphones made the the recording sound better. You could hear nuanced stuff. I was noticing. That I wasn't hearing before when I was just using the club's gear. So you'd take two mics, plug it into a Zoom recorder. No, no, no. I would go direct out of the board and, and XLR. Okay. And, and I would use the, the HN4. So I give them four. They could have the, the room and the, uh, and the, the board, board recording. Oh, yeah. and then you were selling those recordings yep. back to them. Exactly. So I didn't make an extra thirty to forty dollars a night on that sixty bucks. So then I, you know, that was the ways that I could pay to get into the city because i mean it's 15 dollars at the toll booth to get into the city from new jersey so i had to pay that every night to even go to work i think that's genius first of all but did any of the bands ever say why would we pay you for that you owe us that oh no oh no because they they knew (laughs) i mean i i had earned a reputation by then too like when people would see me at that particular club, they were like, "Oh yeah, the sound's gonna be awesome!" Like they knew, and then they would rebuy and they would buy their recordings again. Like I had multiple people that would come back and be like, "Oh man, your recording, da da da, I really loved it." Even one guy, actually, I think it's the keyboardist from uh, Parliament Funkadelics, uh, <laughs> keyboardist. He used the two track as an album. Like he sold it as an album. So yeah, I mean. Yeah. So. <laughs> wow. So sorry to get into the weeds on this, but. Oh yeah. No, it, no, no. Because I'm just curious. So, so you record them 
and at times take you know the the two track board mix combine that with the two mics on the zoom actually no i would drop box it to them so they could give me the money i would drop box them to two the live the the board recording separately from the mic recording so they could combine it later uh-huh. and do whatever they wanted to do yeah so that that was how i love that that you did that i i got onto a big kick of listening to podcasts this is about yeah about seven, eight years ago while I was working at um, Bandigo, I was always in a car. So I wanted to just learn instead of like listening to music all the time. So I was listening to this podcast, uh, actually the Adam Carolla show, which I, 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 he's my favorite. And, you know, he was always saying, you know, get to work. If you want to get something done, you do it yourself. And, you know, put it out there. Whatever you do, if you're a comedian, pitch your comedy. You know, it's it's too easy now. Back in the day when I was doing it, you know, there was you didn't have all these outlets. And I was like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> and so I started up a YouTube channel. And so the bands that I really liked their recordings, I would choose a song out of that that recording, mm-hmm. and I would contact them later and be like, hey, I like this song. Listen to it. If you would reshare, you know, let me reshare it. If you could reshare it, this would be great for both of us. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the artist has a free recording that they didn't have to worry about, you know. And then I got to just show what I did, which all I wanted to do was mix. I started using, uh, you, uh, yeah, using the Dropbox thing and just coming home, getting the information from the bands, a picture, stuff like that. You know, put it together, send it to them, and then ask them if I can make it public. If yes, let's go. If not, I, you know, I had a few that were like, nah, we didn't want to put it out. That's fine. You know, didn't put it out. But the people that were gung-ho and put it out there, it was just a way to show that I was doing what I wanted to do, which was mixing. So from that, I ended up putting the YouTube channel on my LinkedIn. I started to get serious about that. Even while... During this time, you know, I would sometimes talk to, you know, going back a little bit to full sale um, if I needed gigs or something to see if they had anything going. My advisor was like, you really need to get your LinkedIn together. And I was like, oh, I mean, at, at the time, nobody, it was no nothing really happening on this platform. And I was like, oh, OK. And then I started looking and then certain engineers I noticed that I respected had their shit together on LinkedIn. They had a picture they had, they had where they were going to be. They had a website. And I was like, oh, oh, OK. Well, if I want to be like these guys, why don't I at least do what they're doing? You know, mm-hmm. get get my LinkedIn together. I don't have as big of clients as they do. But, hey, I could at least look like I'm doing something. So I started putting the video links onto. So at the time, LinkedIn had just started, had just made it so that you could upload video because for a while you couldn't it was all text based okay so once i realized you could put video on there i was like okay and then i just put in you know every place i had worked at you know people i had worked with and da 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 i put in all my information i started to notice notice through linkedin that they were ranking people they don't do it anymore funny enough okay but I noticed that when you put in audio engineer in New York City, I popped up first. And I was like, ooh, that got to help. 
You know, I was like, okay. And so that inspired me to keep going because most engineers are like, I'm not going to use that. What does this do? And da 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 I was like, all right, well, since they're not doing, if I could look up on one client out of this being the top engineer showing up and I knew it. And then like six or seven months later, I got a, a random um, message from Christian McBride saying that he was looking for a friend of house engineer. And then he found me on LinkedIn. Oh, my God. <laughs> Good for you. So, yeah, I mean, and I was like, really? I mean, at this time, he had won four Grammys. You know, I was like, am I getting punk? You know? <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, and yeah, man, like two weeks later, my first gig at 92nd Street Y in the city, mixing his big band, 17-piece big band. <laughs> wow. So that's the story of from Chicken Shack and, uh, you know, a chicken uh, factory and, and airbags to now mixing and touring with Damn. <laughs> so you're still working for Christian? Oh, yes, yes. He has like six or seven bands, so he keeps me, he's my main client. Yeah. He keeps me busy, but in between that, um, I, I really got that, oh, man, this social media thing is something else, you know, that, that gave me the bug to keep going and to, you know, the recording live thing is pretty dope. And I was like, oh, you know. I like to start multi-tracking, and I and and it, that's a more expensive game to get into. And I was like, oh man, I don't, I, don't, I just don't know how I'm gonna save up the money for this. And then one day, randomly, <laughs> uh, my now business partner hit me up. Which, funny enough, I had mixed his band at Spike Hill like years before. This is Dennis, right? Yeah, this is Dennis. Orrin Beckoff? Yes, yes. Okay, um, I, I said it correctly. Oh, yes, you did, actually. All right. <laughs> so, yeah, Dennis contacted me via Facebook Messenger and was like, hey, uh, I see you doing great stuff. I just bought some studio equipment. Would you like to, you know, record or do stuff with me? I was like, uh, I'm not really in the studio game, but I would like to do live recordings if you're okay with that. And he was like, Perfect. Let's do it. And we've been on and going since then. <laughs> and and this is a company that is called uh, 23, 23 DB Productions. Yep. You do recording. Uh, you do original video content, uh, mixing and mastering. Plus, you have a podcast yourself. Yep. What kind of clients do you guys work with? It's all over the place, from jazz to pop now. We, Who, whoever's we recently, got a checkbook, right? <laughs> exactly. Hey, we're small business, uh, so hey, we just uh, grinding it out. And uh, as we get the clients, you know, let's go. But we, we really, we concentrate on higher-end clients. Though. Like, I mean, our current client list includes you know, Christian McBride, of course, but Atlantic Records, the National Jazz Museum in Harlem. Mm-hmm. You know, not to say a lot of money, but just or other businesses. We we initially started 23DB for like to record indie rock stuff because that was really big at the time. But then that kind of started to dwindle and we were like, all right, so we I guess we really got to go for the, the bigger stuff. But that that was a slow process, though. Before that, we realized doing video, a- adding the video component to the live multi-track we were like okay let's let's add that to it it's going okay we get a couple gigs here and there nothing really really big but then i guess i'll go back a little bit on this because 
when I was working at Claire, again, the social media thing, you, you got to pay attention. I, I, I've met Beyonce's creative director at the time through a friend of a friend. And I didn't really meet her. It was kind of like a, a text intro because the, the, my friend knew that I wanted to get into audio and she was, you know, you know, already out there doing it. You know, she was like, oh, you know, I know a lot of mixers. And I'm like, yeah, everybody knows a lot of audio engineers. So oh, yeah. I was like, OK, that's cool. So then a few months later, I, I noticed. And at the time, again, on LinkedIn, Twitter was on LinkedIn. You could see whoever was your friend what they posted on Twitter. And I noticed that her Twitter said, my sister is having a show in the city. Y'all come out. And I was like, uh, all right. <laughs> so I was like, hey, I work for Claire. <laughs> we talked a while back. I would like to help your sister show. I can, you know, hook it up with anything you need. Just let me know. And she hit me back and she let me know what she needed. And I provided it. And she ended up introducing me to Beyonce's playback engineer, her live her live guy, her live sound playback guy, which is Quiz. Playback engineer meaning the backing tracks and all that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I ended up becoming really good friends with him. I ended up going over to his studio, like within that same time at the time working at Claire, and I was like, uh, he was like, you need to get endorsements. And at the time, I wasn't even with Christian at the time. And I knew you got to have a big artist to get a, an endorsement for engineers. Like, you know, it is what it is. And, and I was like, ah, I'm not really with anybody. He was like, nah, you know, he, you know, he was showing me kind of the game. He was like, you know, you do a video and you you you, you do this and da, da, da. I was like, ah, OK. A couple of years later, I ended up getting the, the Christian McBride gig. And I was like, oh, man, I need to go back on what he was saying. Now that I do have somebody kind of major, then I started looking and then kind of ran into a rep for Lewitt Microphones. Yep. At the AES show. Rand Randy, Randy Fuchs. Yeah, Randy. I ended up running into Randy. And, you know, hey, I'm just some random engineer rolling up to him, you know. So <laughs> he was showing me the Lewitt microphone, like the kick mic and da da da. I was like, oh my God. I was like, this is this is next level stuff. So I ended up buying the the seven piece drum kit that Lewitt has mm -hmm. after the AES show. And I took it out on a show with Christian and and I mic the drummer and I did another two track and it sounded crazy like the the drums just jumped out on a two track so I, I put together another steel with a picture of the Christian McBride big band mm -hmm. and I you know took a, a song that I liked and show you know and sent it to the the Lewick people and they loved it, and they made me an endorser. And that, that was how I got my, my first endorsement. And um, it kind of went from there, um, just doing more and more video. You know, Randy is, is connected with so many other products. So we started yeah. working a lot with him in different products. But then other products started reaching out to us randomly. So huh. now it's become like its own business. Um with us only being around for about four and a half years, we've been able to earn about almost $60,000 worth of gear in the four years. From zero to what we are now, between like microphones, cables, speakers, yeah, all the stuff that you need to do what we do. I want to ask you a little bit about that in terms of, because uh, there's a lot of people who listen to the show 
who I'm sure hear this and think, man, you know, how do I do that? How do I connect with a company uh, whose products I like? Oh, that 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 is so wide open now because of the um, because of Instagram, uh, <laughs> Facebook. I mean, it's so many so much new gear out there mm-hmm. that just that needs to be seen, you know, and you being able to use what you already do as a profession and show how well their gear works. That's how you do that. But you have to put in the work. You have to do the video. You have to make sure it looks good. You have to do, you know, you do all of that, then, you know, you'll get more and more work from it. It's a reciprocal thing. Oh, yeah. Very, very reciprocal. You know, you have to show them some love and then they show you some love. And Oh, yeah. You know, Constantly. It's, it, it's a back scratching um, situation. Is it tough for you to, to choose who to do that with? What companies to work with? No. No, I, we only use the stuff that we actually like. Oh, well. And yeah. we only, t- yeah. I it's, mean, very, it, it's, it's, <laughs> it's not complicated. It's very simple. We only use stuff it's, we like. <laughs> yeah. Um, we've been very lucky that, hey, that, well, I, I mean, yeah, we, 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 we put in the work. We don't just, the thing that happens with a lot of these products is that people get the gear and never do the, the video or never even mention it or never even do anything. Uh, we've we've entrenched ourselves so much in social media that it's just a part of who we are as a business now. Instead of having to go into debt, you know, which most engineers have to do to get a, a studio started, you know. Yeah. Figuring out a way like we did to just do it by uh, uh, yeah reciprocal relationships with people. Hey, I want to give a shout out to our friends over at Audio Technica. They help make the working class audio podcast possible. You can find them at audio-technica.com. They, of course, offer headphones, microphones, turntables, turntable cartridges, as well as many accessories that you might need, like headphone replacement cables and headphone pads. The great thing is, is there's no hesitation required. If you see something you like, you can buy it right there on the website. So check them out, audio-technica.com. And thanks for supporting our friends at AT. What I'd like to get is your, um, what you would consider your mindset or your approach, whether yourself or you and Dennis together, as far as business and audio and trying to make all that work. You know, obviously you want to make a living and you want to do what you enjoy. So what are the things that you all concentrate on and what's, what can you relay to other people? Networking Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and listening I couldn't, you know, I'm sure that Beyonce's creative director gets 20 emails a day saying, hey, I do this, that and the other, you know, I need help. But always think, how can I help the person that I want to that I want to work with? How can I help them? Always think that first and your career will take off no matter what. Interesting. Yeah. In fact, for those who are into, I think it's uh, Zig Ziglar. Are you familiar with Zig Ziglar? I think I am. Yeah, I've heard the name. He's an American author. He's a salesman. He's a motivational speaker. And he's got a quote. And, and I'm glad I remember this. He, the quote is, you can get everything in life you want if you will just help enough other people get what they want. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I, I also, while I was working at Bandigo, I also read 
think and grow rich. And that was the game changer for me. It made mm-hmm. me rethink and think like that. Okay, I know where I want to go, but why? how can I help somebody to get where they want to get to? Because then they're going to move mountains to help you. I can guarantee you that. That's, uh, I knew, yeah, Napoleon Hill, I knew that. Yeah, Napoleon Hill, okay. exactly. <laughs> now, also, you know, some there's going to be some people out there who hear this and they're like, oh, what does this have to do with audio, you know, work and, you know, these motivational books or people or whatever. What would you say to that? <laughs> oh, it, it has to do all, all with, with the mentality that you go with this with. If, yeah. if you want to be the best of the best. And, and that was what I came into this business to do, not just to be an engineer, but be one of the ones you think of immediately when you think of audio engineering. Yeah. So I also do what I think is needed to be at that level. And I look at what those people do at that level. I, I research it. I, I, that's why you want to hang around for free those people (laughs) if you're young to know oh this to see how they move how much work they're doing how little sleep (laughs) (laughs) you have to get to be at such a big level at at, at the at the a level so that that's also always been in my mind to be one of the best and to work as hard as the best and to be no question, you know, what people think <laughs> outside of that, I, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I mean, we, we don't always have also in engineering, we don't have the best attitude as far as um, at work. Sometimes it just in, in engineering in general, you could have like some very salty people that doesn't work for me. So that was why I had to own the business myself. And that's why I'm a lot more happier in what I do work-wise and audio-wise because now I only deal with people that I want to deal with. Those people tend not want to deal with me because of how I deal with situations and that I'm very lighthearted. I like to laugh. I like to have fun. Like, (laughs) you know, this this is fun for me. Um, Engineering, I shouldn't be cursing all fucking day and you know it's still going to be a long day regardless i mean the hours that we put in 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 engineering is 15 17 hours 24 hours you go from one gig to the next i mean and i've done all of that so i i feel your pain either way but then you also have to change your mentality to make it work for you and and for me i'm not a again i'm not a down in the dumps person i like being happy and i like having fun at my job if i got to be there for 18 hours so uh the mentality thing was what those books taught me that i i it was in me before but i was able to double down on it once i read i was like oh this is already me so i don't have to i'm just gonna stay this way and then i got more and more money from it and, and, and more friends and more people in the industry wanted to deal with me. Like when I changed, when I just went hardcore that way. It, so if they're like, oh, that ain't going to work for them. Okay, well then find something that does, you know, and, and you can. Yeah. There, there's always something that works for your personality and the way that you want to work, your way of working. So my way of working, I, I have to do it for my own business because I, I didn't really find a fit with a business that for long term work that worked for me. So, yeah, that's my advice. 
I love it. And I really love your attitude. You have this momentum about you. I just feel like you're like a moving vehicle. It's like, whoa, here comes, here comes Phyllis. She is absolutely going down the road. And you can either, you know. Hey, get on the bus or get off. Hey, baby. <laughs> what have been the challenges for you along the way? Uh, what What are the things that were real stumbling blocks? Anything that's gotten in your way that you that you got past? Yeah. Um, even with people and attitudes, it's like I, I will move on. I, You know, funny enough, I've never been fired from a gig, but I, I have been like, nah, I can't. I can't do this. So <laughs> you fired yourself. Yeah, I, I will fire myself <laughs> before you'll get me to cursing back at you. And we have a big like, nah, this isn't going to work. And then I move on because it, it, it's millions of audio jobs out there. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, don't ever feel like there's nowhere else I can go. I mean, even in my small town of South Carolina or, you know, even, in, you know, you could always go to another theater or another sound company. There, There's always that sound company that didn't like the sound company you were at. So they'll hire you just to get back at the old sound company, at that other sound company guy. So <laughs> it's so nuanced and the the connections are always there and people want to see you win i mean especially when you're just they see the attitude and they see that oh she ain't gonna give up so i might as well hire yeah <laughs> it's basically how i go about it or, or i'm just gonna leave I, yeah i i have no patience for that anymore thank god i don't have to go through it because i mean when you're young you do you have to you know eat it i yeah. did too I mean, I, it didn't get nothing physical and nothing, cra you know, but hey, yeah, it's just you're going to get some salty guy talking shit. It is what it is. <laughs> but then you go to the next gig and he's not on it or she's not on whatever. It's just like, all right, you just next gig, next gig. Let me learn and move on to the next gig. You just can't emotionally hang on to those, those oh, confrontational no. moments. No, 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 not at all. Not at all. Because it's such a small world. Holy cow. It's too small. Even in New York City, we all hear everything. Any particular uh, mentors along the way that uh, are worth mentioning? Oh, yeah. My friend and mentor, Courtney Taylor, um, he, he now does audio front of house for Common, Pharrell. And I met him at Revolution Sound. Uh, the revolution venue in Fort Lauderdale in mm -hmm. South Florida while I was there. I would fill in for him when he went out on tour, but then he would like, he taught me how to do monitors, like walk me through it and never had an attitude about it. Never was like, oh. like engineers can be very, we, we have no patience a lot of the times. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he was perfect. You know, when you find people like him, I, and I hung on to him for dear life because it was like, oh, thank you for not giving me a fucking attitude for asking you questions. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> and then you see where he's at. He's mixing the top in the in the genres because he had the same attitude. It was like, hey, whatever, just get it done. Da, da, da. Yeah. So, yeah, he was big. They had like the guy quiz. He taught me the, the endorsement game. Yeah, and just all, all the engineers I've I've kind of met through my my time. I, I've taken good and bad. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I've gotten. I always take was taking you know mental notes if not paper in front of me when I was first starting. Like okay, how to deal with it technically 
and emotionally because Courtney was also one of the most calmest people that you'll ever see. I've never, I never he never would yell. He was always even keel. So I was like, man, if he could do that, okay, that's how I want to deal with people and not get people any more excited because everybody just want to sound good. That's all they want. And I just want you, you know, I have to double up, be like, hey, I, I'm, I'm for you too. I'm rooting too because if you sound bad, hell, I may not have a job. It's not a fight. We're both going in the same direction. We're so. on the same team. Same team. And, and that's what he was about. So that's what I took. <laughs> I really, with the podcasting, I also started listening to people's biographies. One of my favorite biographies uh, was H- Sammy Hagar. <laughs> really? <laughs> and, and I, I want to get this out more, too, because he came from nothing. And his entrepreneurial mindset just blew my mind. And and he he also was for me is like a virtual mentor. The the fact, you know, he, he did the tequila. He went, you know, most of his money isn't even from music. Like he sold his tequila business for like a hundred million. Oh yeah. And like he you know, but it all of this was just from stuff that he liked already. <laughs> like this was all from passions that he already liked. And so that's kind of how our next phase of 23DB is kind of happening with taking on clients for podcasts and and just doing different stuff, but still in it. It's stuff that I'm passionate about doing, you know, even doing video for products. It's still stuff that I liked. And that was kind of that was what I took from his story. It's like, man, you could build so much from just stuff that you like already. It, yeah. So, yeah, that, that he he's one of my guys, too. I absolutely <laughs> love that, huh? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know when people are like, Sammy Agar. <laughs> well, and, and actually, I know I know uh, his his guy, his engineer. Really? And I'll have to, I'll have oh, to, man. I'll have tell to him. bring this up. <laughs> Please do. He's one of my favorites. So, yeah, I tell people all the time. Absolutely. Sammy Hagar, read his book. <laughs> I want to ask you about time management as our final topic to discuss before we before we wrap up. We're all trying to survive, you know, day to day. We're 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 trying to make decisions about the gigs we choose, where we spend our our time and our and efforts. So, in such a a world that is full of potential distractions, you know, it's like one minute I'm doing something and then the next minute I'm on Facebook and I'm like, "Oh shit, there goes an hour and a half. What was I doing? Why did I why did I go to Facebook in the first place?" <laughs> So I'd like to know what your thoughts are on that and as it pertains to yourself. How do you manage your own time? I make lists uh, on the, like my, my phone notes, stuff that I, I got to get done that day. So the stuff that I have to get done the most, I knock it out as soon as possible and then go from there. Because I still, I get emails. Can you get a stage plot to me? Can you get this, that, you know? And yeah, and you end up getting lost. But as long as I knock off out, you know, I may have like three things that I want to get done that day. And I and those are the, the main things I got to get done. And then it's still a million other things to do as far as when you have a business, more and more content and all that kind of stuff. So he- heavily rely on the notes and calendar. If it's not on the calendar, I I probably won't. (laughs) I won't get to it. Fela, it was an absolute pleasure to speak with you. You're very inspiring and very motivational in in your attitude, and I love it. Um, So thank you for taking the time 
uh, to speak with me today. And we'll include links in the show notes for 23DB Productions. Uh, yeah, the Art of Music Tech podcast as well. Check it out. <laughs> absolutely. That'll be in there as well. Uh, so thanks again. Pleasure meeting you. And I look forward to meeting you in person at some point. Will you be at AES? I will not be at AES, but I, I'm always at NAM. <laughs> oh, okay. I'll see you. I'll uh, see it, you there. I'll be at NAM. I'm always at NAM every January. All right. Cool. All right. Well, you take care, Fela. Thank you. Thank you. Fela Davis here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Thanks for being with me today. If you haven't had a chance, stop on by workingclassaudio.com and maybe click on one of our sponsors' links there. They help make the show possible. That includes AEA Microphones, Universal Audio, Audio-Technica, Roswell Pro Audio, Gearslets.com, and the License Lab. also want to thank our friends Mr. Cliff Truesdale and Mr. Chuck Smith for their efforts on the show. And thank you for listening. I appreciate the fact that you spend time with me every week and uh, continue to spread the word, like us on social media and all that. And until next week, my friends, take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware, Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear, including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like, and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life, many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on gearspace.com. So check that out.